0: Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. Well, today this is the season we're celebrating the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, there's lots that we could say on this, but I'm going to really focus on one of my favorite truths, and I've said it before, and that is Emmanuel. Emmanuel. Uh, Emmanuel, God with us. I know our Lord goes by many names, and there's many true things that we could talk about uh, about him, but that truth happens to be my personal favorite, Um, and I hope it's impacting and meaningful to you as well. But uh, I do want to recognize, I I was already alluding to it within the prayer time, that Christmas kind of brings, it's a mixed bag of emotions for a lot of people. And there might even be people here on the, I mean, obviously on the grief side and loss Uh, And also on the total ecstatic joy and excitement side, I know my daughter's there, Uh, has been for a month and a half already, as we approached Christmas. Um, But there's both, and then there's in between. Some of us have been so busy, as soon as December starts, you have staff parties going into family gatherings, going into trying to get your lists and presents and things ready, And, and it's so busy, you might not even have time to stop and think about how you feel. And so, you know, it's not—it's not all bad. And I don't want to minimize anyone's pain, but I, I actually want to talk about, you know, what is the focus of Christmas? What is it that we are actually celebrating? And I think there's a lot of hope because there's hope—a lot of things to feel hopeless about in our world today. And the Christmas message actually gives us hope, and that's what we're going to be looking at. Last week, Pastor Ray talked. I mean, did a wonderful presentation on church renewal and what he does everywhere else. Wasn't that good? I thought that was so powerful, looking at those eight renewal principles and our discipleship target and how that goes. I'm just excited to really tackle that uh, and go, go hard at giving our yes on that this next year. But, but one of the things he said that I really loved, and he's said it many times, for years he said it, God wants a habitation, not a visitation. He doesn't want to visit, he, just, he wants to inhabit. And, and the thing is, you go right back to Genesis, and we're looking at that, and what was God doing? Walking with Adam and Eve in the garden. So, sin creates that separation, and since then, we haven't had that same level of habitation. But all of Scripture points towards that truth that God wants a habitation. And that is really what the truth of Emmanuel is all about God with us. It's displaying His intentions towards those He's trying to save that He wants to habitate with. And, and you know, Christmas, we get a little snippet of it with. Jesus coming to earth the first time as a baby and then living his life. He was with us, like right there. Now he left. John 14 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He goes on to say, in the meantime, I'll give you the Holy Spirit. So he's with us in spirit. But there's a day coming when he returns when we're going to experience the reality of Emmanuel for the rest of eternity, for the forevermore. That's why I love this. It's one of my favorite truths. So um, we're not going to talk grand story the entire time. By the way, if you didn't know, you'll see at the top, the serpent crusher. I am, I am skipping over the Davidic covenant. We will come back to that and finish it. But just so you know, if you didn't know, the serpent crusher, drum roll, is Jesus. Excitement. Some of you are like, my eyes have been opened. I've been waiting for this since fall, like since September. I know. I know, it was difficult. And some of you have contacted me and you already knew who he was, but I don't know how you figured it out. Anyways, uh, that's where we are though on here. Today, that's what we're focusing on. Jesus is born. And you know, when you see it on that timeline and you think about the Abrahams and uh, Moses and David and Adam and Eve and all the patriarchs and prophets going forward, like we're living after, right? In that now, they longed for the day of where they would even see the Messiah the first time. I mean, they didn't fully get the, two, the first and second coming, but they were longing to see Emmanuel. Isaiah prophesied of him 700 years before his birth. So let's look at Matthew. Matthew says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. But as he considered these things, he was thinking about divorcing her quietly. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph... And that's the prophet Isaiah. So Matthew is very careful to include the prophecy in Isaiah and states Jesus is the fulfillment. And so that's important because Jews still today, though they'll accept Isaiah, will not necessarily accept uh, that Jesus is the fulfillment of some of those promises. Uh, In fact, some of them don't even see the the correlation between the prophecies and those promises. But that's for another day. But we'll, we'll start by looking at Isaiah in just a moment. But why does this even matter? I mean, to us, maybe it mattered to the ancient Jews, but why does it matter to us? I, you know, I get excited. I go through the cross-references, and we've talked about this before, and I would encourage you to do the same, because normally it's always marked in here. You'll see these little numbers and letters, and you'll bring it to the bottom if you have a cross reference Bible, a reference Bible, and it's going to show you where it goes back to. Do yourself a favor and start doing that, and you'll see how many times things are prophesied in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament, and some that are prophesied in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the Old Testament too. Prophecy is one of the biggest apologetics or proofs of God that there is. And I know there's creation and and the resurrection. We talk about that lots too. And, And one of my personal favorites, our own experiences. Nobody can deny me what I've experienced with Jesus. However, the prophetic nature of this book, it's a prophetic book, is a proof of God in and of itself. And so I'd encourage you to go there. So anyways, that's why it matters, and we're gonna start in Isaiah to take a look at what it says. So to begin, you're gonna see Emmanuel. Now you'll notice I spelt Emmanuel here with an I, and that's because that's how it's spelt in Isaiah. If you're confused, sometimes you're wondering, what if I do an I, what if I do an E? Is one of them right and one of them wrong? No, one of them's Hebrew, one of them's Greek right? They mean the same thing. So it's the same thing. Don't worry about it if your spell checker is getting mad at you. Uh, don't worry about the I or the E. If, well, I mean, maybe worry about the rest of it. You might have spelled something else wrong. Um, but anyhow, that's the first thing. So let's start with historical context, because we're going we're gonna to go to Isaiah 7. And so just a little bit about Isaiah. So the first thing is, this is already happening. So Isaiah comes on the scene 700 years before Jesus and already in a time when the kingdom of israel is split and we're going to talk about that at another time when we go back to the davidic kingdom and catch up but we're not there yet so just know there's a northern kingdom of israel and there's a southern kingdom of judah right so there's 10 tribes in the north there's two tribes in the south isaiah is prophesying in the southern tribe of judah make sense we're all following on that so he's prophesying there to a king ahaz and that's where it kind of picks up now i will say Isaiah prophesied about lots of things, uh, but he has some of the most detailed, like by far, the most detailed prophecies about Jesus the Messiah, both his first coming and the second coming. First coming and like his birth, but also his death and what would happen to him here, like his mission here on the earth, and then his second coming and the restoration of all things. So Isaiah has a lot to say, so much so, and his prophecies have been so detailed that skeptics used to, say that it was written after Jesus. That was the only way they could reconcile. Some of it was so accurate and so clear that the only way to reconcile that without believing in God, which is what we do, uh, was to say, well, it wasn't written before the events took place. It was written afterwards. And then a year came along, 19... i got to check, 47? Yep, 1947. And the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. And right there at the Dead Sea Scrolls, what happened was they found intact manuscripts and pieces of of the Old Testament. They found basically the entire thing, minus Esther. But they have basically preserved, very well preserved, the entirety of the Old Testament, dating into the the BCs. They're sure, they're not totally sure how far, but for sure, hundreds of years before Christ came on the scene. Isn't that awesome? I mean, think about that. We're going to look at some of those prophecies today, and some of them we'll look at again in Easter. We always go over a lot of those there. Uh, I mean, the Easter one of Jesus' death reads like it's right out of the Gospels itself. If I didn't say it was from Isaiah and you weren't really fluent in your Bible, you'd probably think I was reading from the end of one of the Gospels. That detailed. So, picking up there, Israel's split into two nations. So you'll see it on there, Uh, and uh, this is, I took this from uh, the uh, ESV study Bible, but you'll see it says Syria. So Syria is the northern kingdom of Israel or Samaria. And then there's Syria, which is above the Samaria or Israel. And then you have Judah, which is below, right? You see that small little bit? Now, if you look up, you'll see these arrows coming out of Assyria. Different. Different. Assyria was a large superpower, was basically the superpower of the day, and was kind of moving and conquering everyone, and was threatening now. They were coming down, you can see the peninsula there, into Syria and northern Israel, which is Samaria at the time. So what you have is Israel, or Assyria and Israel, form a coalition to fight Assyria. And what they wanted to do was they wanted to get Judah also to join them, and King Ahaz refuses, Right, so he refuses, and then their plot is, well, fine, we'll just go and take over the southern kingdom of Judah, defeat King Ahaz, install our own king, then we'll have our coalition, and we'll go and we'll beat uh, Syria on our own. So that's where we're going to pick up the story from there. And that's where we're going to hit Isaiah 7. Okay, So that's the uh, we're getting to Emmanuel. We're almost there. Say to him, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid, do not lose heart because of these two smoldering stubs of firewood. I love that. So just, again, imagine yourself in Ahaz's place. So you have two kingdoms. They're united against you. They're coming to destroy you. And then you have a larger kingdom yet above them that also wants to destroy you. And uh, you can just imagine how he's feeling. And the very first thing that the Lord tells Isaiah to say to him is, be careful, keep calm, don't be afraid. You ever tried telling that to one of your kids or your spouse or a friend when they're overwhelmed? Oh, t- just stay, calm down, don't be afraid, don't worry, it's, it's nothing bad, right? Anyways, that's basically what Isaiah is saying to him here. And uh, then he goes on to say, Because of the fierce anger of Rezin and of Aram, and of the son of Ramalion, Aram, Ephraim, and Ramalia's son have plotted your ruin, saying, Let us invade Judah, let us tear it apart and divide it amongst ourselves, and make the son of Tabeel king over it. Right? So you can see their plot there to install their own king. Okay. So, don't be afraid. Keep calm. Be careful. Enemies are knocking at the door. Now, I just want to pause here because I think there's lots that we can learn from the historical aspect here, and I want to get to where he talks about Emmanuel. But I don't want to skip so fast through this that there's no personal application. So just imagine yourself. I want you just to think about it. Ahaz has two kingdoms coming against him. He feels like he's going to be destroyed. He is shaken to the core. What giants are you facing this morning? What shakes you to the core? Maybe it's something that's coming from the outside. For some of you here, it's going to be something that's from the inside. Maybe it's a health crisis, loss of a job. Maybe the changing culture has you so disoriented you don't know up from down. There's lots of things that we face. And I think the Lord's message here to King Ahaz is actually a consistent message throughout Scripture and to all of us, and that is, do not be afraid. Keep calm. Keep your focus on the Lord. You know, years ago, I, um, this is right after giving my life to Christ, and you know, I stopped selling drugs, which was a good thing, right? Yep, you're all down your heads. That was good. Didn't stop right away. It was almost right away. It was three months. It was a work in progress. Still is actually, but uh, not with the drug dealing. <laughs> Just to clarify, <laughs> that stopped a long time ago. I haven't gone back. Anyways, so you, you realize, okay, so you're making quite a bit of money over here, and now you've got to stop doing that. And I already had a son. We had Austin, and me and Louise had been married. Uh, and so you know you have to make money, and you and you know you obviously have to provide for your family. So I'm, I, I got this temporary kind of seasonal job that I had gotten a few times, and I started praying. For the first thing I wanted to pray for as well, I need I need full time work. Full time work is probably the, the first starting place. And so I started praying and praying hard, Lord, I need full-time work. If I'm not going to be a drug dealer, which I'm not going to do, I'm not going to do that. I need to be able to provide for my family. I need you to provide work. I don't have a lot of skills other than my illegal sales experience. And, uh, and so I started praying at this seasonal job that I was at, at Pioneer Grain. Um, and uh, they all of a sudden offered me, I didn't even ask. They offered me, they said, you know, we want to offer you a position full-time within two weeks. Like literally two weeks of praying, and and they're offering me a full-time position. I thought, that is absolutely amazing. I was just floored. Well, you know how it goes. When you get something that easy, you're like, maybe I didn't pray big enough. And so I thought, well, full-time work is great, but I mean, benefits, I mean, I have a son, uh, you want benefits, benefits is good, so we started praying for benefits, and Lord, I need these benefits, and it's going to help, obviously, of all your pleading cases. So we prayed for benefits, and literally two weeks later, they presented me this benefit package, which was absolutely phenomenal, because Pioneer Grain is owned by James Richardson International, right? So they have an amazing benefits package. So now at this point, you're like, one in two weeks, two in two weeks. I mean, we're four weeks into this, and this is wonderful. And so I was looking at that you know yearly income. And I was like, this is probably the time to start praying for a bigger yearly income. Right? I mean, what would you guys have done? That's the logical next step, right? Well, more money would obviously help, considering that I'm giving up so much, Lord. Anyways, I started praying for a larger income, and, uh, and within two weeks... JRI actually found out about that I'd been hired, that kind of stuff. And uh, they had office called down and they said, despite him being able to do the job, he's not qualified to the job. I didn't have the degree for it. And they said they had to let me go. I was devastated. Right? You see God's answer. You see God's answer. And suddenly it's like, I'm trying to provide my, for my family. I'm giving up these bad things. I'm trying to do the right thing and then it's like he just yanked it from me, and I was devastated. I was hopeless. I was in despair. I didn't know what I was going to do, and I called my brother, and uh, I tried to talk to him, and, and maybe he would say something that would encourage me. That didn't work, uh, so I called my dad, and he tried to encourage me too, but you, you ever have it where even those that are normally able to like, lift your spirits can't? Because you can say, well, just have faith and just hold on, but that doesn't change the situation that I'm in. It doesn't change that I have to provide for my family. Like, I need a real answer. Have you ever felt that way? I need a real answer, something tangible. And so my dad did give me a recommendation, which he's done before, and it's always been a good thing. Um, So if you're a parent, take notes. And he said, you know what? You need to go and ask the Lord. Talk to the Lord. Seek the Lord and see what he says. Really, you can only find that peace in him anyways. And I did. And I cried out to the Lord. And I remember, I remember being in my 24 First Street house, and I know where I was, and being on my knees on the floor, and I was crying, and I didn't know what to do, and I felt so overwhelmed and anxious... Because what am I going to do here, and how am I going to provide for my family, and what am I going to, and you know, am I going to go back to this, or and that, and then you get all these thoughts. You ever had that where your mind's racing, and you're like, I got to do this, or I got to do that, and it's cloudy, nothing seems like it makes sense. But there's one thing that makes sense. You've been doing it for years. Go back to selling drugs. You don't have to do it forever. Just do it. Just do it until you provide. You, You know, you can even say it. Just do it until the Lord provides you another job. What's the big deal? You've already done it for years. And I sat there and I had to make a real decision because you might say, well, that's a dumb decision. Well, recognize where I was. Maybe I'm not where you are today, but recognize where I was, what I had just come from. It was so fresh. And then you feel the weight of, well, if I don't do this, what's going to happen to my son? What's going to happen to my wife? And I remember sitting there and there was no peace from the Lord. I had no word. I would ask him, Lord, what should I do? Nothing. Nothing. Lord, give me some hope. Nothing. It's like I sat there and had to face that, that demon, that temptation of, of what I was going to do. And I remember sitting there and, and finally getting a resolve. I remembered, you know, that time in the car where the Lord said, and I know you. I know your name. I know what you've done, and I love you anyways. I went back there, and then I just resolved in my heart, Lord, I don't care if we live in a cardboard box. I'm never turning away from you. And it was right at that moment where peace began to flood in my heart, and then I saw, okay, just, it's wild, but I'll just tell you because this is what happened. And then I, I looked up and I see this reflection. Kinda, you know when the sun is shining through, something reflective on the wall? Well, I saw that, and it was like a clear, symmetrical cross on the wall. Which startled me. I hadn't seen that before. And in fact, I went like this, and I was trying to find the shadow, see where it was coming from. Couldn't find it. And then the Lord began to speak, and he said, Stephen, the cross looked like a defeat for me too. Trust me. That's all he said. Very similar to what he's saying to Ahaz. I know it looks like defeat. Trust me. Fear not. And I did. And two weeks later, I know it's not always been two weeks. There's other things I've been praying for for years. No answer. I get that. But I was a baby Christian. I think sometimes baby Christians get a little boost, which is why, you know, if you're a baby Christian and you're here today, I want you to join my prayer partners. (laughs) (laughs) I just (laughs) do that with my young nieces and nephews too, and my kids when they're little, because I'm like, oh, Lord, try saying no to these ones. (laughs) you can say no to me for my character, but them? (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'm a little messed up in the head. Anyways, two weeks later, I got a job offer from another company, um, Steinbeck Dodge. They asked me to come in and and apply, and I hadn't even applied there. They called me and contacted me, and long story short, the very number, everything I had been praying for in those three different prayers, the job being full-time, obviously, the, the benefits, and the exact wage I was praying for, all of them were provided within two weeks. Is that not amazing? Now I get it. <laughs> it is a woo. Some of you are writing notes, and you're like, hey, i got to follow that. There's a, so how many times did you pray, and then it was two weeks, and then an answer, right? Two weeks? Not a formula. I recognize there are some in here that have been praying for a lot longer than two weeks, and you haven't seen your hope yet. And, and you're going to relate more with the prophets of old that prayed. That You know, in Hebrews 11, it talks about the, the ones of the heroes of faith who kept their faith. They stood firm in their faith. They never gave up, though they never saw the fulfillment of many of those promises that they held to. Uh, Not in their lifetime, anyhow, but all of the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. And so we can hold on to that. We just don't get to see it always in our time. All right, back to this, though. Only God can look at the worst situations in our lives and say, fear not. And he says something to the effect of fear not 365 times in the Bible. It's not unique to Isaiah. Isn't that wild? So now we move on with the story here. Yet this is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. It will not happen. uh, And then he says, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will will not stand firm at all. And you'll notice, by the way, I I always say this, but just so you don't think I'm distorting Scripture, you'll see the dot, dot, dots. Just read the whole passage. I'm going through Isaiah 7 through to Isaiah 9 today. That's what we're covering. Uh, And I'd encourage you to go read the entirety of it for yourselves. I cut out some of the long lists of names and that kind of stuff so we can just, for the sake of time. Anyways, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. It will not take place. He's worried about being destroyed. The Lord says, it will not happen. You will not be destroyed. And then he says something that I just love. It's one of my mom's favorite verses, and that is, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you're not firm in your faith, in another version, you will not be firm at all. And I love that because, again, (laughs) this is instruction to Ahaz, but this is instruction to each one of us. You want to be firm in something. I mean, what did we learn through COVID? And then we went through a a, a horrifically painful church split. What did we learn there? That faith in the things of this world is fleeting. It's a shaky, sandy ground. But Scripture's always said, don't put your faith in the things in this world. You put your faith in God, and if you don't do that, you will not be able to stand the things that you will face. There is only one way. But he provides that way. And I love that about the Lord. What a powerful challenge, though. So, you know, the Lord recognized the, you know, what's required, though. If the Lord's asking you to take steps of faith like this, that's a big step uh, to trust him. And, and he offered him a sign, and that's where we're going to go to now. Um, so, Isaiah 7 here. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, and he said, Ask the Lord for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or the, in the highest of the heavens. Now, think about that invitation. Can you imagine, I mean, that, I, have, I don't have any story to share with you of the time where the Lord said, ask for any sign. Like, from as high as it goes to as low as it goes, like, whatever you want to confirm that I am with you and for you and that I will fulfill the promises that I've given to you, ask for any sign. And look what Ahaz says. I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Now, interesting, he's quoting Scripture, Deuteronomy, in fact, he's quoting scripture and he's saying, well, you know, do not put the Lord your God to test. But we know from Gideon that it's not, when the Lord invites you to test him, it's okay when he's asking you to step forward in obedience or faith or trust to say, Lord, I'm I'm a sinful, broken human being and I need confirmation before I step out in faith. That's okay. What he's saying with do not test the Lord is do not challenge the Lord. Do not test him and sit back and say, well, you have to prove yourself or I'm not going to follow you. It's talking about a smug attitude. Anyways, um, Isaiah invites, and the Lord invites Ahaz to ask for a sign. Ahaz refuses the sign, and, um, and really, it's just a false humidity. Humidity. There might be humidity in here, too, but it was a false humility. <laughs> Sometimes you need a translator for while I speak. Um, but then look what the Lord does. He actually provides him with a sign anyways. And, you know, when I think about this, going back to the, what giants are you facing? You know, what is the choice that you're going to you're going to make? We're going to talk a little bit about how we choose to trust in the Lord later on in the message, but I want you to think about that health challenge that you're going through, that financial uh, you know pressure that you're facing, or the loss of a job, or maybe it's grief. Those are real things, and I don't know how you're going to get through all of them. I don't know how long it's going to hurt. I don't. But Scripture challenges us to stand firm in faith in every season, in every situation. And we move forward. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you, O house of David, it is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? Now he's responding to Ahaz's false humility, right? And, and he goes on to say, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Enter the prophecy about Jesus. We're finally there. It only took us a while. All right, so now we get to the prophecy here, and he says, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. He'll be eating curds and honey when he knows enough to reject the wrong and, and choose for the right. For before the boy knows enough to reject the wrong and choose the right, the land of the two kings you dread will be laid waste. The Lord will bring you on... Uh, bring on you and on your people and on the house of your father a time unlike any since Ephraim broke away from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. So that's what Isaiah is now saying. The Lord says, I'll give you a sign. There's a sign that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, first I just want to say one thing. The first thing I want to point out, because we were talking about our mountains that we face, our struggles, that addiction, that anxiety, that grief you might be feeling in the Christmas season. And Emmanuel is the truth. Emmanuel is that gift from God that gives us hope. Because he says you're not alone. There is another in the fire standing with you. So that truth actually carries us through. But I want you to notice something else here though, and that is, okay, when we look at the, you know, Matthew version of this seemed like it directly related to to Jesus, right? right? Didn't it? I mean, if you're born of a virgin, and you call him Emmanuel, yep, that sounds directly like Jesus. Well, here it almost seems like it's a different kind of sign, and if you're looking forward in Isaiah 8, you're going to see that then a a son is born very shortly afterwards. So a couple of things that I just want to highlight here, and that is Isaiah is speaking of two signs, two events, and two sons. Two signs, two events, two sons. Remember the now, not yet. When you're going through biblical prophecy, that is a a rule that we've talked about for many times here at Scripture, or many times at Scripture. It's a rule for interpreting prophetic uh, promises in Scripture that we've talked about for years here at Southland. The now, not yet. So it will always have a now component or fulfillment and a not yet, and that's exactly what we see here. So if we go first to Isaiah 8... Here we go. Isaiah's wife, the prophetess, she has a son, and they call him Mahir Shalahel Baz. That's a hard one to say. And and then he says, before the boy knows how to cry, my father or my mother, you can see it right here, uh, the wealth of Damascus or Syria and the spoil of Samaria, which is Israel, will be carried away before the king of Assyria. So the first sign is the sign that just like he had said in in, uh, chapter 7, verse 16, that before the son, uh, child knows right from wrong, that all of those kings are going to be laid waste. And that's exactly what we see here happening immediately after in chapter 8. So this matches perfectly. The second son, though, we're going to get to, and that is in Isaiah 9. So the Isaiah 8 has a, an immediate fulfillment. Going back to the Isaiah 7 prophecy, right? So Isaiah 7 has the prophecy. Isaiah 8 has the immediate fulfillment. Isaiah 9 clearly points to a future fulfillment. And you may hear, I mean, maybe not in here, but I have, I have heard it myself. Some will argue that the full fulfillment, this often happens with people, was completed in Isaiah 8. Which then I'm not sure how they reconcile that with what Matthew writes in the Gospels, but that is actually what, one of the things that is charged. So you just have to see as you're reading through in your scriptures, there's two signs, two events, two sons. Okay, so we'll just compare them here a little bit. So we'll compare the two separate events. Oh, didn't show up. Anyways, chapter 8 has Judah only. Chapter 9, and I'm going to show it to you in just a second, is the United Kingdom. My PowerPoint just screwed up there a little bit, but I had it on the right-hand side there. But chapter 9, on the other side that you can't see, use your spiritual eyes, has the United Kingdom that includes Galilee, the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. Chapter 8 has a sign that God is with them, right? And chapter 9 actually talks about this son is actually going to defeat all of Israel's enemies and establish a kingdom that will have a reign forevermore. Clearly two different events, two different sons. Very, very different. And the last one, chapter 8, is very much a human son born not of a virgin, right? Because that was Isaiah's wife. And chapter 9 is born of a virgin and is clearly divine. And you'll see it here in this famous passage. And we were just singing this This morning. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. This is talking about the future fulfillment, the second son. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. So, how long does no end last for? Eternity. So, it wasn't fulfilled in chapter 8, right? Because there is no king on the throne that's been reigning since then, lost my spot, They're on, the throne of, uh, on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of the hosts will do this. No man, no mere man could fulfill those promises wasn't fulfilled in Isaiah's time. Isaiah spoke of this 700 years before Jesus came, and we haven't even seen the full fulfillment of it yet. We've only seen the, the partial fulfillment of the first part of the promise that we saw in chapter 7, right? Unto us a child is, well, the, un, the child is born, but born of a virgin, and he is Emmanuel, God with us. We've seen some of this, but look at the names. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The increase of his government, and there will be no end. He'll reign on the throne of David. Right? He's referring to the, the reincarnation, the God-man that would come, Jesus the Christ. And that's who we're celebrating today in this season. So we're going to um, look at, so we looked at Emmanuel and Isaiah. And now we're going to go from here, and you'll see, by the way, Serpent Crusher, just in case you forgot again. This is the, the Matthew version. So she will bear a son, you should call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. This was the long-anticipated serpent crusher. And that's what we're celebrating in the Christmas season. And it's, it's critical that we understand that and don't get lost in the busyness and gatherings and food and gifts, which are all good. Enjoy that too. But the hope that God wants to give you, the hope that will allow you to endure hardship, the hope that will empower you to persevere in difficult cir- circumstances won't come from those things. It's going to come from focusing on Emmanuel, God with us. So, when we look at... Um, we're going to look at Emmanuel now with an E, <laughs> going to the New Testament, and we're going to look at God with us today and forevermore and the hope that we can get from that. Um, uh, what is your focus this Christmas season? I want to give you a second to think about it. Think about this last month. What's been your focus? Don't shout it out. What's been weighing you down? Maybe you're not weighed down. Maybe you're just super excited. You're Caitlin. I know there's a bunch of you in here because I see those trees go up and you start wearing the sweaters early. But I know there's others that are stuck with anxiety. You can't even stop to think about this. It's so busy and you're just, you're revving and others are mourning loss and remembering pain. So what's grabbed your attention this season? What's grabbed the focus of your heart? Maybe you're struggling with mental health and you know, you're feeling trapped. Maybe you feel alone. Everybody else has family and you have no one around you. Maybe you're that person that's sitting in here today and there's a thousand of us in here and yet you feel like you're all alone. No one cares about you. It wouldn't matter if you didn't show up. And seeing everyone else smiling and having fun and having gatherings is just stabbing you in the heart and tearing you apart from the inside out. Maybe you're stuck in a secret sin or an addiction. Now, Christmas is a lot of fun, and there is a lot of fun gatherings. I'm, I'm super excited about mine, actually. A lot of, it's it's going to be a blast. Um, and I enjoy the food. It's going to be great to feast. We're starting to feast already on turkey today. Right, Mom? I'm eating that whole turkey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but Christmas isn't just about the family gatherings. I want to ask you a question. Are you sitting here today and think that Jesus doesn't see you? Have you ever felt like Martha, where you're saying, Lord, don't you care? Why does Mary get to sit at your feet and enjoy that? Well, I have to do all of this and struggle with everything. Those are those thoughts sometimes you don't want to admit to somebody else. So what do we do with that? You know, the Father understands loss. Maybe you're here and you're feeling loss. You know the Father understands loss? You know the Son understands brokenness? He took on flesh and allowed himself to endure and experience all of our weaknesses, being tempted in every which way we were, yet remained without sin. He demonstrates his love for you. I'm, I'm just, I'm confronting those that feel like Jesus doesn't see me. I wish he would see me. He sees everyone else. While you were a sinner, you still are. He saw you, he saw your face, he knew your name, and he died for you. He offers forgiveness in his name. Why? Why go through all of that? Because he wants to habitate with you. I know we look at that habitation, not a visitation, we're thinking, yeah, that's like the macro. He wants that with the whole world. He does want that with the whole world. Even creation will be renewed and restored. Even the creation is broken, and he cares about that too. He cares about the sparrows. He says that. But sometimes we're so lost in the enormity of it, we forget that he actually cares about the individual. That means he cares about you sitting here today. He knows your pain. He knows your struggle. He knows your doubts and insecurities. And he will give everything and has already demonstrated that he is committed, all the way committed, to your salvation and redemption and restoration and relationship with him. And yes, some of that is now. Some of it's now, just like the promise in Isaiah. Some of it's now. God did do some answers. But the, but the fullness of the promise, some of that's going to come later, and I get that. In this world, you will have tribulation and trouble. So this is what I challenge you to do this Christmas season. Just looking at my time, because we've oh yeah, got to... Oh yeah, got. are good. We're good. Gratitude and praise. And by the way, gratitude and praise. Praise Jesus for three things daily. This is something, please, I know we put these up here, and I know for the most of us, including myself, it's easy, oh, we should do that, and there's going to be a small small uptake. I get it. Try it. I'm not saying it's going to fix your anxiety and your addictions overnight. I'm not saying that. I, I actually don't have the authority to say what the Lord does you know, I can't just say, everything's going to be okay, fear not. I can point you to him, though, and he can say that. But try praise. And if, you don't, if you're so stuck where you can't even write something down that you, that you love, put on a worship song. Worship song, not secular. Put on a worship song, maybe a Christmas song. Some of the ones we are singing today are so incredibly theologically rich. Sing it and listen to the words you're singing and watch your soul come alive. I bet you, for the many in here that feel anxious, most of you didn't feel any of your anxiety when we were worshiping in the beginning of this service. I bet you just felt like you were coming alive. Then worship him. Not just here, but when you're on your own. Worship him. Waste your time with extravagant love on your Savior. And then meditate on the promises of Scripture. I'm going to read some before I let them start singing. <laughs> and then be a me- and then lastly, be a messenger. You want to know some of the problem? and I wish, we'll do a whole message on it later. Some of you, you, because you haven't engaged in step three, you're like a dead sea. You're taking in all of this truth and everything that's supposed to make you come alive, but you're not a river that just flows. You're like the dead sea. It just kind of sits there, gets stagnant, and it stops. You're waiting for maybe something. If I get enough here, if he takes away my fear, if he makes me feel this way or does this for me, then, it's always then. You just need to step out. Share Jesus with somebody. Be that servant. Be that messenger. All right, I'm going to skip through this one. That one I'm going to skip. Oh, no, I'll do it really fast. This is what the Lord says to me, his strong hand upon me. By the way, I like going here, Isaiah 8. This is what I didn't read there. There's a little section because God also told Isaiah, Judah's not going to be destroyed, but there's only going to be a remnant left and you're going to be punished for your rebellion. And uh, this is what he says to Isaiah, his encouragement. This is what the Lord says to me with his strong hand upon me, warning me not to follow the ways of the people. Don't call conspiracy everything the people call as conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear. Do not dread it. The Lord is almighty. He is the one you regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. The Lord says to Isaiah as he faced the Assyrian invasion, this is what you can do when you're meditating on scripture. You look at what he was saying to them, and then you say, well, what is God saying to me? How can I apply that scripture to my life? Look what he's saying. My hand is on you. This is what he said to Isaiah. My hand is on you. Don't follow the way of the world. You want to know how to get through your giant? The Lord says, my hand is on you. Don't follow the way of the world. Don't get caught up in conspiracies. Don't fear the giants you're facing. Focus on God. Fear Him alone. He is your holy place. He is your refuge. One passage. We don't have time to go through all of these Philippians. Look what he did, and this is what I want you to think about. I want you to do this on your own, too. Look what God did for you. He did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped. He emptied himself, took the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. For everyone, but also for you. Can you say, for me? Say it with me. He did that for me. Let's do it again. He did that for me. Here we go. Hebrews. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What or who is that joy? Why would he endure that? Who did he do it for? While we were sinners, Christ died for who? For the ungodly. Who's ungodly in here? Who's the joy set before him, allowing him to endure the cross? You don't think Jesus sees you? We're going to go through Holy Night. i got to stop now because we we can't miss that. You guys will revolt. We do it every year, and it's wonderful. I want you to listen to the lyrics. There's a lyric in there that I was yelling out this morning a bunch of times and yesterday. Obnoxiously, actually, when I was walking my dog. Um, But the soul felt its worth. When you focus on Emmanuel and what that means and what he did for you, that's when you feel alive. People are looking for, who am I and where do I find value? Your soul finds its worth in Christ when you realize who he is and what he's already done for you.